It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. But nobody has come out to say we're taking away the three down game. Everybody just assumes the three down game is going out the window. When you look at the stadiums that are available now in the States compared to what they were 25 years ago, we have the stadiums to fit a wider field and a longer field. You are listening live to Quick Kicks, a presentation of Third Down Gamble. Welcome everyone to Quick Kicks on Third Down Gamble, and I'm Don Charbon, and today joined with a very special guest, the CHCH sports anchor. He's a football insider on Three Down Nation. Justin Dunk. And Justin, it is awesome to see you here today. Yeah, Don, jacked up to be with you, man. Talk some three down football and chop it up with you a little bit. Yes, I love talking three down. It's my favorite game of anything out in the world. I can't get enough of it. I'm the one that will watch all 72 and all playoff games. Yeah, we need those people. We need more of those people, Don, because I'm with you. you got to be in tune to every game to know what's going on, especially when it's a nine-team league, my man, and I'm with you. The most entertaining brand of football played is the three-down version. No questions asked. Yes. I know you're a quarterback in your past. You played for Guelph. The Griffins uh, and you had a great run. After your playing days, how did you get into media? Like, Where does a quarterback move into media in that part of the world where you are in Ontario? Man, seems like a long time ago. It's been over a decade. So I started at Guelph from 2005 to 2009, was fortunate to win the starting QB job just a few games into my freshman season there. So I kind of thought football was going to go on forever, Don. But when you realize that that's not going to be the case, you start thinking about what might be next. And I started doing that in my fourth and fifth years there at the U of G. And we used to have a CTV Kitchener reporter named Darren Stevenson that covered the team often, probably the most often from a television standpoint. We had the Guelph Mercury in town. They were there all the time. But when Darren came, I sort of struck up a relationship with him because being the quarterback, they naturally just want to get your opinion or a comment on pretty much anything that's going on with the team. So... I started asking Darren about how he got into media, what it was like, and I shadowed him a little bit in the summers when I had time. And eventually he became a mentor to me and he felt like maybe instead of going to school, college or university for a master's program or even a postgrad from the U of G, I had a political science degree at the end, that I should try to find a way in in terms of working and just getting those reps instead of maybe going further into debt. So I got really fortunate that the student paper at the University of Guelph, the Ontarian, actually had a paid position as a sports editor. So I applied, Darren being my key reference, got the job and had a chance that I'm so thankful for to this day to literally learn on the job. I really believe there's nothing better than doing something if you're going to learn it. So I was a sports editor, covered obviously all of the sports there, but then took it to as many levels as I could. I called a number of sports, football, basketball, hockey, you name it. I was trying to call it on what used to be the streaming sports network, if anyone even remembers that. And then I also had a weekly show on the campus station there that was based around sports. So whether it was something that was going on on campus with athletes or somebody that had graduated from the University of Guelph that had gone on to do great things in the pro sporting ranks or anything in between, I was all over it. So 
As the Ontarian was coming to an end, the CFL Combine was coming up that spring. And I had written a couple articles, actually, about a couple University of Guelph players. I believe, if my memory serves, one was Jed Gardner, who I actually had used to play with as a receiver. The other one was James Savoy. So I pitched to CFL.ca wanting to cover the Combine with them. And fortunately enough, Darren Stevenson, who I mentioned earlier, had a colleague that worked for the league office, Jamie Stein, he was running their website at the time, spectacular guy, gave me an opportunity, paid me to come cover the combine. From there, I met a gentleman named Bert Fabish, who worked in the front office with the Hamilton Tiger Cats on the media relations side. They had an internship where you could go and be a writer and I carved out a video analyst role as well because of my background in football there. So did a lot of learning again on the job and just got used to being around the pro athletes. Like I'm not scared to talk to them anymore, but in those days, when you first go into those scrums, you get really scared. So had a year there with the tie cats and as that was coming to an end, I started looking around and seeing, okay, where can I potentially get in? How can I use the context that I have to get to where I want to be, which is a full-time gig in the sports media industry. Well, fortunately enough, the score was hiring at that time when they still had a television station. God love the score. And Tim McAuliffe and Donovan Bennett were there. They had actually covered my games when I was at the University of Guelph as part of their university rush coverage at the score. So they put in a positive word for me. John Coleman, who actually hired me, was the producer of those games. So there was a little bit of name recognition there, which certainly helped. So Got in at the score, did a bunch of the stuff there. Honestly, I used to work in the ticker department where you see the scrolls go across and the little notes and scores and all that kind of stuff. I worked in highlights as well. And then when Sportsnet came and bought the television part of the score, because the score still exists as just a website, then I moved over to Sportsnet because I was deemed to be part of the television part. So then that's when I got a chance to do sideline reporting for the Canadian University games, be part of the Vanier Cup broadcast, learn more and more from guys like Arash Madani, and obviously Tim McAuliffe was there too. So it just kept on going from there. Three Down Nation started up on May 4th, 2015. So we have an anniversary coming up here actually on draft night, interestingly enough, when Drew Edwards had got it running and recognized that it was just tweeting out information and news and felt like it could have a home. So he brought me on in a part-time role. That ended up becoming a full-time role. Left Sportsnet after five years between Sportsnet and the score at that time. And then now have ended up at CHCH as the sports anchor on the weekends. Also dibble-dabble in some other news and sports stuff there for them. And then focus on Three Down Nation. So that's the Coles Notes version. Hope it was quick. That doesn't leave you much time to breathe, does it? <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's part of the way that I was happy to develop in the sports media industry. I really think that to succeed, especially in Canada, you have to be a go-getter. You have to be a self-starter. And you can't just stay within what the job might define you do, whether that was the Ontarian, whether that was even covering the combine for CFL.ca, whether that was continually pitching Jamie Stein on articles that I wanted to do after the combine and wearing his email inbox out or texting him on the cell phone. I just continually was doing that because I had such a thirst to do it and really just enjoy it overall. And I wanted to take it as far as I can. That is awesome. I just love that. I, 
I, I have a bit of a parallel story, but I never went as far as you. I, I worked at a student newspaper at the University of Saskatchewan. I did uh, broadcasting with the local uh, telecable, it was called back then. So I did Western Hockey League. I did UFS Huskies, uh, Saskatoon Hilltops. So there was a lot of opportunity for me to do that sort of stuff. But it just, I guess, maybe I just didn't have the talent and it kind of fizzled for me. But that's life. I'm, I'm content with where I am now. Right on. We have a revised 2021 schedule that has been put out by the Canadian Football League. I think a lot of people are still hoping that this comes to fruition, but in your mind, where are we at with all of this? Yeah, I mean, I still think there's a lot of hurdles to go before we have 14 games or any type of a season, to be quite honest. Here in Ontario, where I am, obviously much has been made about the lockdown that we're under right now, which is supposed to go until May 20th. The COVID cases had been spiking. They're starting to come down a little bit from the record highs that we had a couple of weeks ago here. But we need to get to that point where in Ontario, let's say, for example, the sport minister, Lisa McLeod, would actually sign off on return to play. I asked her directly a few weeks ago if she was in a position to do that. And she said no, just because of the current COVID-19 situation that we're looking at in Ontario. I think for me, that's where the virus is going to guide this in the sense that even in Quebec and BC, right, they're pretty high right now. I think the west of the western provinces are are doing all right. But overall, that deadline that, I shouldn't say deadline, but that sort of benchmark that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has talked about in terms of at least every Canadian having the chance, if you want to, get vaccinated by the end of June, is really where the league looked at and they worked forward from there. And that's how they set that August fifth target date. And it should be said, it's still a target date. And I think it could end up being a moving target. Is there a number that you think that the CFL could live with if they had to shrink that from 14? Would it be eight? Would it be six games? Yeah, well, you want to have a representative season of awarding the Grey Cup, right? So I haven't heard a specific number of what it would be. I definitely think they would like to be in the double digits, ideally 10. But if you have to go eight and you can still get some football in and get people talking about your product again in new terms, instead of just looking back at what happened at 2019, it could potentially be worth it. That will largely be determined by how many fans can be in the stands. If they can play eight games and have, let's say, full stadiums with everyone vaccinated, then I think that would be a go. But if we're talking about playing a smaller amount of games, then maybe they say, hey, it's not worth it. And then maybe even the XFL talks factor into that. If they feel like they can actually get on the field in 2022, and I'm just speculating right now, then maybe that plays a role as well. Does the league have to get provincial and or federal loan money to help them get through this? I don't think so. And it's a bit of a myth because in 2020, actually, they got a lot of government money. All of the teams and the league office accessed the Canadian emergency wage subsidy. And we saw that on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers financial report for 2020. Yes, they lost $7 million, but they were given or they obtained $3 million roughly from the government program. So if you sort of extrapolate that out to the other teams, you kind of get your $30 million, which the league had been asking the government for in an interest-free loan. To me, I don't necessarily think they need money. I do think, though, like in the provinces such as you know Winnipeg and, sorry, Manitoba and Saskatchewan and Alberta even, and even BC, to be quite honest, Melanie Mark, sport minister there, had told me, I asked her for a statement about sort of where they were at, that there could be some money there in kind of these different forms there 
to help the Lions get back on the field. So I think in the Western provinces, it certainly makes a lot of sense that they could get some money. I'm not necessarily sure if that happens in Ontario, but they don't need it, although I think there could be a little bit there to help them out. Well, we've heard anecdotally from Terry Jones that the Edmonton football team didn't have to dip into their trust fund, if you want to call it that, to survive 2020. The CFL tends to be viewed as a poverty-stricken league, but is it really? John Hodge really doesn't believe that it is, that there is a revenue stream, even without gambling, that keeps this league viable. I think you can certainly keep it viable. Gambling, I mean, is going to be a massive one, but as you said, looking at it without gambling factored in, that if you invest money into grassroots football in Canada, get people interested in this game at a young age, like I was, like I'm sure you were, I can remember watching Doug Flutie in 1996 and 1997 and just falling in love with that type of game. Now, I also watched NFL as a kid, but if there was an NFL game on or a CFL game on when I was a kid, I was watching the CFL game. So that's where I think the league should focus to get those generations that they people feel like maybe they have lost, but get the ones back now that are that age, that are coming up and that see athletes as larger than life. You know, I've seen some examples of it in Hamilton or even when I've been out in Saskatchewan doing Canadian University football games where it's literally larger than life. And these athletes are ultra athletic, are world-class athletes. I just don't think they're marketed as such. So I think if they focus on the grassroots level, that could certainly help. And I also think the marketing of the athletes would definitely help. There's only a few people in the league, and by people I mean players, that maybe everyone in the country could identify with and be like, oh yeah, you know, he's a CFL player. Bowley by Mitchell to me would be one that would stand out instantly. Mike Riley would be another one. And that's due in part to their longevity. Now, Riley moved from Edmonton to BC and Bo has been in Calgary the entire time, which is ideal and something that you want to have. So I think that definitely helps. Andrew Harris, I'm sure, is another one, especially in Winnipeg, that a lot of people will know. But we need to market these athletes properly. Let's say, for example, Brandon Banks is just as fast, if not faster, than Tyreek Hill, right? Everyone gets oohed and awed by the speed of Tyreek Hill and what he does, obviously, with Patrick Mahomes. But Brandon Banks is... A similar speed, if not faster. Like, I'd like to see them race, but we need to tell people this who are not diehard fans of the CFL. And to be quite honest, maybe don't know who Brandon Banks are, but when you put Tyreek Hill in the conversation, it gives them a measuring stick and shows, hey, these athletes are legit. They're very close, if not on the same level of NFL players that we hold in so high regard or that the people who trash the CFL oftentimes hold in such a high regard. So let's educate those people and also make them understand that this game is great and entertaining, but you need to be out there in front of people. Promoting U-sport athletes. We don't know a lot of times, other than maybe the first two or three names that show up in the draft on May 4th, who anybody else is, because we just haven't had the exposure to them. Exactly. And I think a lot of that starts with, you know, U Sports doing a better job on their campuses. I think they really need to build that. Get students out to the games. Don't even charge them for tickets. I understand that that's a revenue source, but these students are already paying thousands of dollars in tuition every semester to go to your school. And I think it's better just to build the idea of it being fun in the student section, being happening and make it an event and get them there, get it ingrained in them, right? That's an opportunity 
for, I believe, the schools to have students out, have some fun while they're on campus, and really create a memory for them that is outside of the schoolwork that you might do. Because we have great institutions across this country, but if we can really make it similar to what the NCAA is, where you can show up to one of these games, and I'm not saying we're going to get to 100,000 people in the stadiums right away, but even at Guelph, I'll give you an example. I was in the Yates Cup in 2007. We played the University of Western Ontario Mustangs, now Western Ontario. In that game, the place was live. It was packed. There was 10,000 plus people there. They lost count because at Guelph, there's stands on one side that hold about five or 6,000 people, but the whole bowl was filled there and people were coming and going. Like As much as the schools don't want to admit it, there was pancake keggers going on. There was people enjoying the game. The demand for tickets was insane. You know, Part of that was because Guelph hadn't been in the Yates Cup for a while, but still, I feel like they really capitalized on the hype of that game and made it an event, even though, you know, sadly, we lost the game. But people are going to remember not the results of the game necessarily, but the times that they had with their buddies. I think that that's missing at the U Sports level. I also do think the CFL needs to help create these stars, right? We see so much draft coverage in the United States all through the entire year, and that's funneling into developing those NCAA athletes into stars. And I think the CFL could do a much better job of funding some of the U sports events and helping create those stars, because you're right, the Canadian draft isn't really followed very much, and we know that from the traffic on the website. Now, if you have somebody like a Kyle Borsa that's from Regina, that a lot of people in Saskatchewan know because he's a hometown kid, they get excited about that, but we need more players like that. And then I think it's a little bit different than the NFL draft where you don't necessarily have, especially the skill position guys, coming in and making an impact right away. So I think a little bit of that has to do with the bias against Canadian players at some of those positions. And it also has to do with the players going out and earning those opportunities. So I think if we strip away the bias and let's say give Kyle Borsa a legit opportunity to be the starting running back for the team that drafts him or be a starting slot back for the team that drafts him or be a starting you know, weapon on offense for the team that drafts him, that there's a possibility there that he could turn into a star like Andrew Harris. They're very different players. I'm not saying he's comparable to Andrew Harris right now. You need to at least have that opportunity. And Canadians have shown that when they're developed in much the same way the Americans are, and yes, some of the Americans might take to it quicker than the Canadians, but the Canadians have largely played this style of football for most, if not their entire lives. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part, be a team player. So on March the 10th, we learned of the CFL-XFL discussions. Did that come out of the blue for you, or were you aware of something in the weeds? It didn't come out of the blue for me. I had heard that there was discussions going on between the two leagues, let's call them. The XFL is not really a, a league exactly right now because they're not operating the same way. But I had heard that there were discussions going on, but I just couldn't put any concrete details on what they were actually talking about. And it turns out, as Randy Ambrosi has famously said, well, they're talking about talking, but in actuality, 
they're talking about what might lead to a partnership. So there's so many deals that are still up in the air there, or so many parts of the deal, let's say, that are still up in the air there, that that's why many details haven't come out yet. Do you think that the CFL has handled this well, this circular reference of talking about talking? Did that do them any favors? I think it certainly helped in one aspect where it got people talking about the league and in a passionate way, right? You had your CFL supporters talking about how much they care about the league and how much they don't want to see the historical part of the league lost if they do partner with the XFL. So I think from that standpoint, it was a positive. On the other side of it, Ambrosi coming out and saying, well, they're talking about talking. Well, they're not just talking about having a conversation. They're not sending emails to each other or having phone calls and saying, hey, should we set up a meeting for down the line when we're going to talk about this partnership? They're actually talking about it, and they've been talking about it for a while. So I'm not saying he has to come out and say exactly what they're talking about, but I think it would have had a much better tone to it and come off much better if Ambrosi or some of the other league officials would have just come out and said, hey, look, we're discussing and we're looking at what might be possible here with the XFL. You don't have to say partnership, you don't have to say merger, but we're investigating it instead of the famous line, talking about talking. Non-disclosure agreement, why would you have to enter into one with the XFL? I know you want freedom to speak. What would they be talking about that has to be protected? Well, to me, that's a lot of the things that are gonna get talked about behind closed doors that have to do with the history of the game or the rules of the game, right? They don't want those details leaking out into the public and then people freaking out about it when it hasn't yet been determined. Like the easy one, for example, is people talking about, well, are we gonna play four downs or are we gonna play three downs? Are we gonna play the American game? Are we gonna play the Canadian game? Well, those discussions are still ongoing behind the scenes. They have talked about the idea of playing four downs on a Canadian field or playing three downs on an American field. So those things are being kicked around, but when you're having an open and honest conversation about possibilities, you don't want those details leaking out because as I said, people might take it as fact, which it's far from right now. Redbird Capital, Danny Garcia and Dwayne Johnson, what's in it for them to talk to the CFL in the first place? Well, for them, they get to talk to an, an established league that's been around for a long time and, you know, talk about the Grey Cup that's been awarded 107 times in its history. So for them, they get to look at brand equity in Canada. These teams are recognizable. And even though, you know, there might be some people out there that say, well, the Argos and the Alouettes and the Lions aren't worth much in terms of value of the franchise and what people would pay for them. I'm, I'm not saying they're wrong. But the league as a whole certainly has a value, right? Pre-pandemic, we were talking about the league bringing in over $200 million of revenue. So as a starting point, that's pretty solid, especially for being in Canada. You get a team in there like the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in your backyard there, Don, that is got to be the most followed franchise in the league and has a ton of value if it was ever put up for sale. So you get brand equity in terms of the CFL in all of the teams around the league. As much as people joke about, well, you know, not many people show up to Toronto Argos games, you put them on TV and the Argos average in and around four to 500,000 viewers when their games are on TSN recently. You get that brand equity, which is key. And I'm sure the XFL is thinking, well, if we partner up with them and there's people that are familiar with these teams in Canada, can that help us out in terms of trying to make a sustainable league that is throughout North America and maybe not just focused on the United States. So what happens to the Grey Cup in this circumstance? Let's pretend that they fully merge, they integrate. 
and have two different conferences, one north of the 49th, one south. Where does the Grey Cup fit in all of this? I really hope that the Grey Cup is the championship trophy if the leagues do actually merge. And there's been some talk about, well, as you're alluding to, the XFL could play their season, and maybe there's some interlocking games in there. Same thing for the CFL. The CFL champion still wins the Grey Cup. The XFL wins whatever their trophy is called, and then you play another game. To me, I would like to see the Grey Cup not be downgraded in terms of its importance because I think it's the most important trophy for Canadian football. And if you're having a Canadian football team playing, even if it's against an XFL team in some sort of North American championship game, that it should be the Grey Cup that is a centerpiece. We don't want to downgrade it at all. Well, we saw Baltimore twice play for the Grey Cup in the CFL, so it's not unheard of that you'd be playing an American team for that trophy. Exactly, and it has cachet. Even in the United States, we see it every year. When Chris Berman was still at ESPN, he would always do the Grey Cup highlights. He was always talking about the Grey Cup, and yes, it was only one day a year, maybe even leading into it, but people in the United States, not all 330-plus million of them, but a decent number of people, I would imagine, know what the Grey Cup is. And when you have a guy talking about it on ESPN, the largest sports network in the entire U.S., that that tells you something, that you have to keep that trophy sacred. If these two sides continue to talk, when do you think we're going to get some type of formal announcement? It's tricky to say in terms of the timeline. I mean, you hear different things when you talk to people in the league and involved in these conversations you hear you know 2022 but that seems like a really short runway and you hear maybe 2023 being maybe more of a realistic timeline for them to actually do it properly and not rush it right because as you and i talked about earlier cfl is really focused and trying to have a 2021 season they want to get back on the field largely most people in the league they don't want to be off the field for two years and if you look at the runway that you need in terms of what the xfl did the first time they had all of their coaches and front office executives and all those types of things in place already for a potential season, let's say next year, if they did play in 2022. To me, it seems like the runway is short to get to 2022, but at least that infrastructure is there to some degree with the XFL. Obviously the CFL has it. So it depends what they're talking about. Maybe 2022, and I'm just speculating here or opining, I should say, thinking off the top of my head, maybe 2022, you know, both leagues play and you have a couple crossover games and you maybe don't have that title game yet, right? You kind of just tinker with it as you go in terms of your partnership discussions. I would imagine just based on timeline, as we go along here, we're probably looking a little more at 2023. That said, still a chance. You can do things fairly quickly if you get mobilized. A lot of people are wondering, does the CFL even have to enter into any agreement with the XFL, given, let's say, that game day betting is going to be coming very soon in this country? That's certainly a valid question. And I would argue, no, they don't necessarily have to talk to the XFL. To me, what it seems like the owners are looking at is actually having their team's value increase and be potentially very profitable if they can get the U.S. markets interested in whatever this new potential league look like. So I don't think they necessarily need it. I think they do whatever happens more work needs to be done in Canada. There are still lots of people in Canada that I think would be interested in football and that they could get out there. We see it every week, even in the NFL. Football is the most bet sport in Canada by far. It's not even close to hockey, right? As much as everybody likes hockey here. But from a betting perspective, that's the key. So I think you can see that that gambling money 
potentially is going to come in, especially if the CFL really finds a way to monetize it, you know, maybe with their own app, whether that's in the stadium or you and I watching on TV at home where we can make in-game bets, whether or not Cody Fajardo is going to throw a touchdown pass to Shaq Johnson on his next play, those types of things. I think you could really monetize. And I also think, we talked about it earlier, the grassroots initiative. Get the game in front of the kids. Get them infatuated with it, interested in it. So down the line, they'll show up to your stadiums. They'll be buying the memorabilia. Maybe they'll be betting on it down the line. What about a, uh, a betting service like DraftKings? Where do they fit into this mix? Well, I think once that gets all legalized from the federal government, and right now it's being looked at by the House of Sober Second Thought or in the Senate, that if it does get legalized, then really the possibilities there are endless. You know, I've heard that there are multiple betting companies knocking down the door of the league office because they're going to want in on it because they know how much is bet on football in Canada already. And it's happening at the offshores and, you know, maybe through organized crime and some other methods. If we can make it legal now and the CFL can have those partners, like you mentioned, like a DraftKings or... FanDuel or any of the big ones out there, maybe a Bodog because that's a recognizable one in Canada that at Three Down Nation we have a partnership with, that those companies are going to come to them and they're going to want, pardon the pun, but a part of the action. I certainly think that all of those are possible. You know, maybe Caesars comes to them. All of those things will be on the table once it gets legalized. So in those circumstances, does the league sign a, a deal where FanDuel, DraftKings, Bodog gives them X and then they just run their own show? Or does the CFL take a look at it and say we want a piece of every bet well yeah i think it depends what kind of deal you're talking about right and we've seen it a little bit with what the cfl has done recently with leo vegas which is a betting website that they've had some content that's sponsored by them so different groups be it DraftKings, be it bodog let's say they're going to be after you know slightly different things so maybe bodog wants just more social media engagement to grow their following and then hopefully that leads at the end of the day to people betting on their website. You know, maybe DraftKings, like you said, wants to be part of the in-game betting experience and sponsor that part. But at the end of the day, the CFL has got to be looking at how they can monetize that aspect of it. I would imagine, you know, just based on some of the conversations I've had, that if the CFL has their own betting app and you're betting on their platform, that they're going to make more of the direct money from that. But if you have that betting app powered by FanDuel, DraftKings, Bodog, whoever it is, they're going to want to be top of mind for all of the betters. Do you think we will see a CFL-XFL merger? Yeah, you know, people behind the scenes have been hesitant to use the word merger. And just going on my gut feel right now, it's really hard to pinpoint what might happen because you have some football purists in there, right? You have Bob Young, who grew up a Ticats fan and calls himself the caretaker now. And I would imagine doesn't really want to give away the traits that make the Canadian game unique just to partner up with a big, bad American company. So there's that aspect, but then there's also the other aspect of, you know, the league losing money is in those major markets or losing money, I should say, in those major markets and wanting to try to take the league from more of a mom and pop feel to a real true moneymaker. It's something that can be an asset that, you know, Maybe the big rich people in Canada more than want to own because it actually makes money. So I think it's still 
a ways away from me giving you an idea of, yeah, a merger is going to happen because I think there's a lot of talks that need to go on. And just like any business, right, we've all either worked in a business and some of us maybe have owned some businesses or been a part of some smaller businesses. We know how difficult those can be. So just imagine what these conversations are like when you're talking about an entire league, maybe coming together with an entire league. And now you have The Rock involved and Danny Garcia and Redbird Capital and all these people trying to come together. It's going to take a little while. Where can people find you, follow you? Well, first and foremost, on Twitter at jdunk12. I'm also on Instagram at jdunk underscore 12. And then, as always, 3Down Nation, we have fresh CFL content, NCAA, U Sports, NFL, obviously all Canadian focus and based on the site every single day. The latest news, you can follow our Twitter handle there at 3Down Nation as well. I should shout out my buddy John Hodge. He's at John D. Hodge on Twitter, does some great work. You mentioned him earlier, has done some very interesting digging into the history of the finances in the CFL. So that's where you can find all the goodness. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. You bet, Tom. Pleasure to be on with you, man. And fingers, toes, arms, everything crossed that we get a CFL season. And I hope the same for everyone else out there listening. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Third Down Gamble can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching.